Welcome to News Munchies with Ted Corliss. I'm Ted Corliss coming to you from our studio here in Tampa, Florida. I have to tell you, in the more than 10 years that I've been writing the cannabis blog, News Munchies, I never thought that I would be here recording a piece about Clarence Thomas, the uh, somewhat infamous member of the United States Supreme Court. Now, the reason... uh, he comes into uh, vogue is a recent case that was just decided the end of June 2021 gave him an opportunity to make observations about his belief system associated with the current regulatory environment for cannabis. Uh, So let's back up just a little bit. Uh, The issue of how the federal government treats otherwise legally available cannabis actually ends up coming to a loggerhead by the Internal Revenue Code. Yes, the IRS is does not share uh, my affection for cannabis or certainly not that of Clarence Thomas. But the idea here being that uh, more than 10 years ago, the United States was trying to deal with a drug problem Uh, associated not with cannabis really, but more for other drugs that were being manufactured. And if you can believe it or not, a lot of drug dealers who were selling cocaine, LSD, ecstasy, were creating otherwise legitimate businesses and then running all of the money, running being, let's say, laundering (laughs) money, and they would then be able to reinvest all their tax savings back into their otherwise illegal drug uh, manufacturing and distribution business. And now you can see where this is going to become a problem because, well, wait a second. Now there are, and we're not just talking about hidden drug dealers 10 years ago who have generated millions, if not billions of dollars in illegal drug sales. Now what we're talking about is a 20 billion-dollar industry last year, 2020, that generated the sale of cannabis in all of its forms, uh, edibles, flowers, concentrates, topicals, anything you can imagine. And along the way, there is certainly a cost of doing business to generate these products. And so let's begin by talking briefly about Harborside. Harborside is a very well-known dispensary in Oakland, California, that's owned by Steve D'Angelo and and his investors. Uh, I am very proud to say that Steve D'Angelo is hooked up with me on LinkedIn. Great to hear from you, Steve. And I'm a huge fan of his. I've heard him speak at events. uh, And really, he's he's just this really down-to-earth guy who is really understands the dynamic nature of cannabis. And uh, I think for a lot of people, he's the icon of how to succeed in the cannabis industry, given that the harborside location that he has is just wildly successful. But a problem arose, and that is we're going to identify that problem as IRS Code 280E. That's 280E of the Internal Revenue Code. And it really what it says is if you are going to 
sell drugs, illegal drugs, you are not permitted to take tax deductions for the money spent on costs of goods sold. And that is a specific provision that appears on most, uh, um, you know, in accounting documents associated with balance sheets as well as uh, internal revenue code forms that ask you specifically if the cost of doing business or cost of goods sold involves any kind of illegal activity. And so Harborside was one of the very first dispensaries, certainly one of the bigger ones, to face down the IRS on this particular issue. And rather, I don't want to go deep into that one uh, because the real issue here is why was Clarence Thomas this late in the game talking about 280E? The reason he was is that there was a case making its way through a Colorado system in federal court where the IRS had disallowed certain expenses because they were within the scope of someone violating the Controlled Substances Act. And that means that if you own a dispensary in Colorado, if you know that you own this particular one, uh, the, the, the particular name of the company that owned it is Standing Akimbo is the name of the case and the dispensary. And the same issue came up, and the idea was if the individual dispensary is legally selling cannabis under state law, why shouldn't it, why shouldn't Standing Akimbo be given an opportunity to take advantage of a tax deduction associated with their payroll, which is for most businesses, mine included, one of the most expensive items to cover every month or year. And in the context of the Harborside case, as well as in the Standing Akimbo case, the IRS disallowed payroll, which was more than a third of the particular uh, costs associated with the business. Well, for many businesses, that could be a fatal blow. And so the dispensary filed an, uh, a, a lawsuit in federal court to challenge the denial of the deductions for cost of goods sold. That particular deduction was disallowed by the district court, uh, which is the trial court level, and then it went to the appellate court. And in the appellate court, the argument that the dispensary made, standing akimbo made, related to whether or not the IRS's activities, it's an interesting, very creative idea, violated the Fourth Amendment right to privacy because of the amount of information that the IRS was going to be asking for that, in the opinion of the lawyers who filed that brief, were neither relevant and, more importantly, were more intrusive into their business operations. And that particular argument uh, was rejected by the appellate court, which is the uh, circuit court of appeals for federal courts. Because the way the federal courts operate, you have a district court case, that's the trial court level. The second one is the first level of appellate review. And then if the Supreme Court so wishes, you move from the appellate court directly to the United States Federal Supreme Court, which is where Mr. Uh, where Justice Thomas 
was given an opportunity to write his opinion. And what ends up happening here is both the district court level rejected the uh, opportunity to take the tax deduction, and so did the appellate court. And the Supreme Court decided that it would not actually um, entertain the case, that they believed that the appellate court had made the right decision and that the Supreme Court had nothing to add to it. But interestingly, uh, if you look at what happened next, suddenly you have a statement that is issued, and I don't believe this statement was actually in the opinion, it was just a separate statement by Clarence Thomas being somewhat critical of the state of affairs of cannabis in the United States. And here's, here's a few quotes from him. And I, I think what I want to do is I want to share his ideas with you, but I also want to gauge and kind of make sure to put in context what value there is to him issuing this statement, which is frankly minimal because it doesn't really move the dial. It doesn't address any of the, the, the myriad of ways that cannabis remains illegal in the United States on the federal level. But Justice Thomas writes, once comprehensive, he's talking about the patchwork of laws associated with cannabis, once comprehensive, the federal government's current approach is a half-in, half-out regime that simultaneously tolerates and forbids local use of marijuana. Thomas wrote, this contradictory and unstable state of affairs strains basic principles of federalism and conceals traps for the unwary. It would appear that he's referring to the dispensary that may have had the audacity of believing that because they were selling the product legally under state law, that they could take full advantage of the federal tax laws. Uh, you know, and the statement that was made by him uh, includes this. If the government is now content to allow states to act as laboratories and try novel social and economic experiments, then it might no longer have authority on the state's core police powers to define criminal law and to protect the health, safety, and welfare of their citizens. A prohibition on intrastate use of cultivation of marijuana may no longer be necessary or proper to support the federal government's piecemeal approach. Now, let me unpack this. When we begin this idea of laboratories, that has been the mantra of many pro-cannabis organizations, uh, even including presidential candidates like Hillary Clinton. Uh, when she was running against uh, Mr. Trump, she addressed the cannabis topic as a way of allowing individual states to act as some form of laboratory to explore the nature, extent, scope, impact, not just economically, socially, medically, all of that, allow the individual states to explore these ideas before we take action on the federal level. And really what uh, he's talking about here about states' core police powers. Well, again, let me unpack that. You see, the reason why the federal government has a right to pass a law under the Controlled Substances Act 
banning the, the sale and movement of cannabis across state lines is because of the Constitution's provision giving the federal government certain police powers. And those police powers are, are enforceable and they're recognized under federal law if they are designed to protect the health, safety, and welfare of their citizens. Now here, the federal government is basing its ability to control cannabis sales by relying upon those core police powers, by arguing that cannabis is negative to people socially, medically, politi politically, whatever it may be. And so he is really saying that as a, this was not an illegal opinion that he provided it, it was simply a statement he made uh, in a formal statement after the case was denied by the Supreme Court. They, did, they didn't take the case. And so it just stayed where it was. But he steps forward and makes these comments about the patchwork or what he calls the piecemeal approach that the federal government is relying upon. So uh, what, how do we digest this? Uh, the first thing we digest is what effect will uh, Justice Thomas's statements have on regulatory efforts? Well, here's the truth uh, about that. The, the, the truth about cannabis legalization is that it's controlled more by politics and less uh, by regulators. It's illegal not because it is currently observed as some kind of negative or uh, notorious product to be consumed by children. It's now something that a lot of adults consume for very specific reasons, some of them recreational, many of them not. And so the, what he's really kind of saying here is there is going to be a time when there could be a challenge to the Controlled Substances Act's bar on cannabis by arguing that there isn't a, a credible argument for health, safety, or welfare of the citizens and that the states individually should be permitted to allow certain activities. Imagine what would happen if the federal government were to take away the ability of a hospital or facility for, for giving women uh, reproductive freedom if the federal government decided that it didn't like uh, those kinds of reproductive freedoms, freedoms. Abortion, of course, is the word I'm trying to avoid using here. What if they just told individual states that we're not going to allow hospitals to write off the costs associated with a medical procedure? Uh, that obviously would have a very negative impact on the ability to provide those services to the public. And that's kind of what we have here. We have the federal government who, of course, is more than happy, <laughs> more than happy to take the billions of dollars of tax revenue generated by an illegal industry, but then at the same time, not allow the individual dispensaries to take advantage of uh, IRS Rule 280E which is essential for any business. Imagine running a business where you can't write off the cost of employees. You can't write off the cost of materials. You can't write off the cost of research and development. I mean, what's left? And so we're, you know, I think that as a, as a society and me as a lawyer, we should be intrigued by the fact that Clarence Thomas decided to address this issue. I think that in and of itself is progress. But is it progress in a sense that anything he said or done is going to move the dial t closer towards 
legalization or modernization of Americans' cannabis laws? I don't think so. But I think this inconsistent application uh, by the IRS against some dispensaries and not all is uh, is objectionable because I think if justice means anything, it's justice for one, is justice for all. Why is it, for example, what, what was so special about standing akimbo in Colorado that it warranted the kind of energy that the federal government put behind fighting them over the 280E deductions? that we really don't know. Uh, and truthfully, we couldn't have had the case come from a more friendly uh, cannabis state like Colorado. And so, you know, someone is trying to describe Justice Thomas's statements as providing the roadmap to the end of prohibition of, of cannabis. I don't think I agree with that. I, I've certainly read these materials. I didn't see a roadmap. I saw... Uh, someone making offhanded comments, and I don't think he's really as motivated about cannabis as maybe other things that so-called conservative justices uh, are laying out. And, uh, you know, like, like the fact that in the last month of last session, the United States Supreme Court struck down sections four and five of the uh, Voting Rights Act and the the argument was that the states should be allowed to do what they want to do and without the interference from the federal government. Now, even though this, the, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act of 1964 are considered really the watershed of civil rights litigation because if people of color were not able to challenge racist uh, rules associated with voting, there would never be an opportunity for them to grow, to expand, and to fully explore the protections of the United States Constitution. And so these so-called conservative justices that are making comments about states' rights don't get too caught up in the fact that he happened to be talking about cannabis, because he's not. He's really talking about abortion, because the federal government probably will make uh, Roe v. Wade or Casey versus Reproductive Health Services go away. And it's going to be for the very arguments, the very same language that we're hearing as he talks about cannabis. But as, as many times we've seen, politicians or judges can make offhand references to cannabis and there really doesn't end up being any movement closer to modernization of our drug laws. But we come here today to help you understand what the state of affairs are with the more than 36 states that have adopted medical marijuana, the more than 11 states that have adopted recreational cannabis, not including Florida, which doesn't. But I can assure you being able to travel back and forth between Colorado uh, and Florida and visiting the, the folks that I do on a regular basis these kinds of things, these kinds of issues that come out when judges make comments like this draw a lot of attention. And it certainly drew my attention enough for me to want to share the status of this matter and the context of Clarence Thomas's comments for you. We've written some additional materials about this on our blog at newsmunchies.com, and I would invite you to check those out. Uh, I would also invite you to write to me. I would love to hear what you're interested in in the cannabis question. There's so much that can be talked about. There's so much going to be talking about the medical issues, medical application of it. 
We're, we're going to be doing some more work on that soon. And uh, certainly the political issues associated with an industry that sold $20 billion worth of product last year. Tell me that that's not going to generate momentum or opportunity for the industry. I say it does. And we're going to do everything we can to keep that fire lit. Uh, we, we enjoy uh, sharing these ideas with our listeners and our readers. And I invite you to take a look at our, our video content that we're publishing on YouTube as well as uh, sign up for our blog so you can keep an eye out on these new stories that we'll be writing about. It's been my pleasure. Welcome to News Munchies with Ted Corliss. Be well. <laughs>